0: Generation shall not pass. Okay, so the person, the generation that sees the things happen, as far as the re- restoring of the nation of Israel, which is pictured in the fig tree in Ma- Matthew 24, that generation will see the the return of Christ. Not just not just the rapture, but his actual return. And that begs the question: How long is the generation? Well, I would I would tell you it's a hundred years, but there's different people who say different things. Um, so I say all that because that tells us. If that's the second coming, okay, just do some simple math, and I'm not trying to throw dates around, but if you take 1948 and you add 100 years, and then you got to subtract some years for the rapture, that's the end game, that's like the end, like the cutoff. It could be before that, it could be this year, I don't know. Uh, So the point is, though, it's urgent. Man, the rapture is truly the next thing on God's calendar. Nothing else has to happen. Everything has been fulfilled. We're just waiting for that day. Revelation 3.22, this is how we know that obviously the rapture is the next thing. We're pre-trib, pre-millennials, the way we approach uh, this stuff. Oh, that simply just means we believe the rapture is before the tribulation. It's fancy terminology for that. Revelation 3.22, this is the last verse of the the church age section in Revelation. It says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And that's a big deal because after that verse right there in Revelation 3, you never see the word church appear going through the book of Revelation. Why is that? Well, because, man, we're in a parenthesis right now, which is the church age, and then after the rapture, okay, he, he's moving his attention back to Israel. Re, uh, Revelation 4.1, okay, so you see the last reference of the church in Revelation 3, and by the way, that's the same chapter, which we see, are the call to the Laodiceans, which is the time frame that we live in. Then Revelation chapter 4, it says this, John's a picture of the church. He, remember, he's the disciple in whom, whom Jesus loved, okay? Well, uh, the body of Christ, it, Christ loves the church, according to Ephesians 5. So after this, I, John, picture the church, looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven, and the first voice, which I heard, was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, and said, come up hither, and I will show these things which must be hereafter." okay? That's a picture of the rapture, so. That's how we know, of course, in the layout of the book of Revelation that that is the next thing coming. Okay, we're at the end of the church age now, and we're waiting for that reality of Revelation 4.1 to take place, which is where the church is raptured up in the clouds with Jesus Christ to be in his presence forever after that. Okay, so a couple of, ta- uh, okay, how does that apply? You know, what, what is, what's, how can that call me to something in my life? Well, two simple things that we'll kind of point out. Letter A, once the rapture happens, a person's hope of salvation is over. Okay, which is a big deal. What does that call us to? What well, it calls us to evangelize, the, the importance of that. 2 Thessalonians 2 says this, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, because that's the Antichrist, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And, and for this cause, because they receive not that, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed, past tense, not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So there it is. So like the, the movies Left Behind and all those type of things, they're, they're, they're biblically wrong, this stuff lays out, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, those that are living today that, are, that have, man, they have an opportunity to turn to Christ. They have an opportunity to believe on the truth, as the, as the verse says, and they don't. Okay, man, once the rapture happens and they are going through the immediate tribulation, uh, they'll be turned over into a lie. And by the way, it won't just be the Antichrist fooling them. No, God will actually turn them over. God will send them strong delusion is what the Bible just lays out there. So, man, their, their, their opportunity for salvation will be cut off at that moment. And again, what I was saying earlier, man, I believe that moment is so close. So it should call us to uh, greater urgency in our evangelism. Second Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time, in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation uh, have I succored thee. Behold now is the accepted time. Behold now is the day of salvation. So what Paul's laying out here is we live in a time. Paul's writing to a church there in 2 Corinthians. We live in a time frame where man salvation is it, it, it is a gift. That's what the Bible says. It's a gift. And what better time to to come what, what what better time to live than when the 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 most amazing thing somebody can experience is actually it's it's free. It doesn't cost us anything, and that's why Paul says, man, hey, today is the day of salvation. Is he calling somebody that's lost to to make the decision and not to put it off? Yes, but what he's saying here is the time frame of the church age. Man, there's never been a time like it, and there will never be a time like it, as far as the gift of eternal life being laid out very freely to that person. So, man, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a a simple and free and awesome opportunity and gift, but man, man, once this time comes, that opportunity will be, will be over. And that's one of the problems, one of the things that most people don't understand about the Bible, and that's why we talk about rightly dividing a lot of times in here, because God doesn't deal with people the same way all throughout history. As soon as the rapture takes place, the way God deals with people is not by grace through faith in Christ's finished work on the cross. That's, that's where you go to Matthew 24, and it says those people, they have to endure to the end. There will, be, there will be Jews saved in the tribulation. Okay, there will be 144,000 Jews saved, but, man, they won't call upon Christ by faith, and it'd be that simple. They will have to not take the mark of the beast. They will have to uh, flee to the mountains, because when they don't take that mark, man, they can't buy, they can't sell, they can't make money. They can't, you know, eat based on their income. And so, man, they're going to have to endure and suffer. And I'm grateful. That's, that's why Paul says, man, today's the day. Because, man, I don't know about you, but when I got saved, there is, no, there, is nothing, there is no type of enduring required. It's a gift by grace through faith in Christ. Romans 10, verse 9, it shows how simple it is. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, if it's really, if it's really that simple, if it's really a gift, and somebody just simply has to trust on Jesus Christ, believing in their heart, confessing with their mouth, trusting on Jesus Christ for salvation, then man, that that ought to call me. That 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 should call me to evangelize because the, that time frame is coming to an end very soon. And so it should call me to that. Letter B. Not only is it, not only that, but letter B, we need to be living in preparation for the rapture. As a believer, you could say, well, Dylan, I'm saved. I don't know what you mean. Why would I need to live in preparation for that? Well, because what, what's to follow the rapture for us? It's the judgment seat. Revelation 3.3 says, Remember, therefore, uh, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast, and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch... I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Okay, that's a really interesting verse. We don't have time to, to really dig deep into this stuff. But everybody's life verse that wants to talk about not studying these types of things is Matthew 24, where it's talking about the second coming. And, and Jesus says, no man will know the day or hour. That's, if, if somebody only knows two verses, that's one of them. Everybody loves that verse. Okay, but I will say this, that's, that's talking about the second coming of Christ, and Revelation 3 is talking about the rapture, and notice what he says here, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a the thief, and you won't know what hour I come. So what's the reverse logic, obviously? If I watch, if I'm attentive to that, if I study that, if I give my life to, to, that, to it, that that's coming, then man, hey. I'm not saying I'll know it down to the, to the T, but you know what? We can have a pretty good idea, hey, he's, he's coming. It's close. And so, man, because of that, that ought to be the focus of my life because, because what is coming after that, obviously, is the judgment seat of Christ. So between 1 John 2 and 2 Timothy 4, I keep going to, the, to this example with the youth, but it, it presents two types of Christians at the moment of the rapture. It presents two types of Christians at the moment of the rapture. You've got the guy in 1 John who is ashamed at the moment of the rapture. And notice what it says. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And we'll say more about this moving forward with this other stuff. But but think about that. People have such a and Laodicea have such a fire insurance type of mentality regarding their salvation, they think, man, I got saved, I'm good, I'm just going to coast the rest of my life, that's all that matters. But man, according to this, man, there's going to be people, as soon as that trumpet blows, as soon as they're in the clouds even, as soon as they're with the Lord, man, they're going to be thinking, "I I wish I'd have done things different. And 2 Timothy 4 presents this other end, which was the, this is the Apostle Paul quoting his life, okay, But, and you think, you know, I'll be honest, I hear that, and I think, well, who's going to be the Apostle Paul, though? But he actually lumps other people in this category with him. So notice this. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Well, that's talking about the judgment seat. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Notice the contrast. The first guy is literally ashamed before him at his coming. And the second guy is, is, is in love with his appearing in the clouds. And so I give the example, the very simple example. And we, we all could think like this, but you think about, some again, two people. One, they, they've both trusted Christ. They both have experienced the same salvation. They both have the same, they have the same Holy Spirit inside of them. They both, even have, both have carnal flesh on the outside of them, which is a, can be a, obviously a huge distraction and a problem a man one person may have 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 lived their life after salvation totally for themselves their whole life and then at the moment of the rapture they're thinking man what why did i waste all this time on me and then you have somebody else you can take like a missionary for example or, or anything like that and they've literally given their whole life for that and suffered for the name of jesus christ and at that moment man imagine the the, the differing emotions that they're, they're experiencing at the very same event and they're going to the same place so man, it ought to call us to desire to live in preparation for that. Okay, so that's the the rapture is the next thing on God's calendar. Number two, and we're just going through each thing we've already talked about in this series. Every saved person will stand before, the, before Jesus at the judgment seat. And this is not going to be anything that we haven't that we already didn't know coming in here, but again, just a reminder and review to, to to check up on, on how we're living in preparation for these things. But every saved person will stand before Jesus at the judgment seat. 2 Corinthians 5.10, and, and you know, we, we love the fact that we have a Bible that we can believe every word, right? And so if we believe every word, we have to believe it even when it's, uh, it, it calls us to something that is less fortunate like 2 Corinthians 5.10. But notice, for we, that's believers, must all, okay, not some, not preachers, not pastors, not missionaries, not Sunday school teachers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Okay. And the first thing that I've reminded the teens of and we'll talk about tonight here is just because in case someone doesn't understand this, letter A, lost people will still be judged, but they'll be judged at the great white throne judgment. Okay, Why do we go there? Well, we want to make sure everybody understands that it's not like, well, if you're on the edge of uh, or we have a loved one that's on the edge of trusting Christ and they're like, well, if I, gotta, if I trust Christ, I'm going to have to go through that. Well, you'll have to, as a lost person, will have to go through something too. It'll actually just be a lot worse. So lost people, everyone, everyone that is living and breathing or has lived and breathed, they will have their day before the Lord. It'll just be at, at the great white throne judgment for those that currently live in this dispensation that are lost and die without christ or it'll be the judgment seat of christ if you live in this dispensation and have trusted jesus christ okay so revelation 20 what is the what is that the end result of the great white throne judgment well notice and i saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them Verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So what's happening here? Well, there's obviously people that, we know, that uh, hopefully we don't know, but people that have lived in, in the last uh, 2,000 years, that have not trusted Christ, and they've already died. Okay, so where are they at today? Well, they're in hell. But even though they're in hell, they will still have to account for their life before the Lord. So what happens is they will be taken up out of hell during this moment in Revelation chapter 20 and will stand eyeball to eyeball with the Lord and be judged, and then death and hell will be cast in the lake of fire, which will be the permanent uh, place of... of of. Uh, of them where they, where they reside the rest of their, their life for eternity okay and it says this is the second death so everyone will be judged it just depends on which judgment the, our loved ones will be at will they be at the great white throne judgment because they never trust christ or will they be at the judgment seat of christ and then letter b very simple very obvious but as believers the judgment seat of christ is the most important event of our existence moving forward So, back to the first point, that we need to live in preparation for the rapture. Why do we need to live in preparation for the rapture? Well, because as soon as that rapture happens, we're going to the time frame which is the the biggest deal of our lives. The biggest deal of of our eternity, of everything. 2 Corinthians 5.11, notice what he says. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Okay, now that sounds like a verse that is calling the lost to get saved, but it's not. It actually follows up from the verse that says, We must all appear before the judgment seat. And Paul says, Hey, because you, you will stand before the judgment seat, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Okay, so in other words, man, we're trying to, Paul's out there trying to motivate people. Okay, Paul in, in, in 50 AD was trying to motivate Christians to, to live a certain way, to surrender their lives in a certain way because, man, he knew what was coming. And it, it, he wanted them to, to take heed to how serious that was. And so Paul, who is our model, lays out this testimony in Philippians chapter 3 where he says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. Okay, how do you get to that place? Like, I, I honestly, you know, Wednesday night crowd, a few of us here tonight. How do, you, how, do you, how do you get to that place where you can actually, he's suffering things. He's not just like, he got, you know, some of his friends bailed on him, or, you know, he's got problems with his wife, he didn't have a wife. No, he literally is suffering things, that, that things that when he's writing this in Philippians 3, he's, he's in prison. He's been beaten in his life. How, how did Paul eventually die? Well, he was beheaded. He was a martyr. He's gone through some crazy stuff in his life. He's suffered shipwreck, all these things. And he says that he counts them but done. Like, it's not a big, he's just like, man, it's, it's waste. Just everything other than Jesus Christ is waste. And then he says this, that I may win Christ. Now notice, again, every word of God matters, that I may win Christ. Now that's not salvation there, because when we got saved, we didn't win Christ. Winning comes as a reward. Salvation wasn't a reward, salvation was a gift. And so what he's talking about here is he's talking about what he's going to win, what he's going to earn at that day when he is face-to-face with Jesus Christ at the judgment seat. And he's saying, man, that I may win him. So he's saying, man, one, one preacher used to say it like this that I listened to. He very simple way of thinking about it. He says, I want to do now what I'll be glad I did then. And that really is the way we ought to live our life. It it may be hard at times. It may again, there may be some suffering in the midst of that, as it was with Paul. And we probably will never experience even a fraction of that. And I'm not saying I'm great. I'm not I'm very grateful for that. But at the end of the day, man, Paul had his sights on what was to come. And then verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. This is how we get that, this is how we get that mindset. Okay, this is how we get that focus on, on giving our lives to the judgment seat of Christ. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize. There's, there's, there's the winning Christ for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that's the only thing we can do. I can't control years that I have wasted or maybe years that you have wasted. You can't control that. If you've wasted them on the world or yourself or whatever that is, there's nothing we can do about that. But moving forward, we can set our sights on the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ. So that at the judgment seat, man, we, it can be a profitable time. You know, it's it's easy as I'm as I'm laying out 2 Corinthians 5:11, talking about the terror of the Lord, and it, man, it's the terror. And we gotta we need to persuade our ourselves to live differently. It's it. I naturally think about that in the context of it, of the negative, because there is a lot of negative to that, no doubt about it. But again, I'll 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 call you to what 2 Corinthians 5:10 said that we read earlier back on the front of your handout, where he says. That everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So man, it doesn't it actually can be profitable and good. And so it, it really just comes down to what we invest our lives in right here and now. Okay, So, no, so number three. So we, we, we first week, obviously, you can see, we talked about the rapture and how it's, you know what all that entails. Then we talked about the judgment seat. And then number two, the severity of the tribulation. We talked about the judgment seat and then the tribulation. And if if I were to have a a timeline up here for you, the way this works is the judgment seat is going on for Christians at the same time the tribulation is happening with lost people down here on earth. And all this happens after the rapture. So the severity of the tribulation. And there's some things that this can call believers to as well. Matthew 24, 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Uh, So, man, there's never been a time like it before, as far as the craziness, and there's never going to be a time like it after. So, letter A, two simple things. It will be severe. Why it will be so severe? Well, it will be severe because the Antichrist will be on earth. Matthew 24, 15, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation. And I think I, w- I covered the tribulation while we were in here the, that week. So some of this may sound familiar if you were here. But the abomination of desolation, what is that? Well, it's spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And it says, stand in the holy place. Whosoever readeth, let him understand. So what's happening here is in the, in the, the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist is a regular man. Okay, He's a man, uh, a, very wi- a very smart man. Uh, a, a very persuasive guy, but he's a guy. He's a person, and what happens is he dies. Okay, and the whole world is following him in this new world order, this one world system. And he dies, and he dies of a deadly head wound. You see that in Revelation thirteen three. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound. Okay, it, it killed him, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. Okay, so this Antichrist resurrects is what happens. And I said this last time we were talking about this, but the, the old like the old timers, they didn't they never understood like how's the whole world gonna be able to see this? But we know it now today with TV and with social media, I mean how everybody can see anything going on in the world twenty-four-seven. This is how we work today. Um so, he will, this deadly head wound will be healed and he will resurrect. And it shows us what's happening in Second Thessalonians 2. And this is the importance of comparing Scripture with Scripture. But it says this, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Verse 8, And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So 2 Thessalonians is saying it like this. Man, that, that man, has to, the Antichrist, has to be taken out of the way. How does, he, how does he get taken out of the way? Well, he dies. Okay? And then that wicked, who is, man, it, it's, it's, the, it's, it's Satan incarnate here. He's coming, and he's, he's literally going to indwell that dead body and resurrects it. And and what this reminds us of is is not just with end time stuff, but in all, all throughout all throughout history, is Satan always counterfeits what the Lord does? He always counterfeits what the Lord does. Christ resurrected, and, and Satan's going to have his own resurrection uh, with a man, and it's going to be with this this situation here. Okay, so it'll be severe. Why why will the why will the tribulation be so severe? Well, because the Antichrist will be on Earth, and it'll be. It'll be the devil in flesh, okay, the, this man of sin, the son of perdition, okay? And, man, the, the havoc, again, I was like I was saying earlier, those 144,000 Jews will have to flee because, I mean, he's going to be after them, and he's going to be causing havoc and problems here on earth, okay? Well, and that's, that's, a, that's a pretty crappy deal, and, again, what does that have to do with me? Well, again, if nothing else, it, it should call me to evangelize. It should call me to, to proclaim the gospel. But then letter B, when talking about the severity, I would, call, I would say this is actually a greater reason for this. Letter B, it will be severe not only because the Antichrist will be on earth, but it will be severe because the wrath of God will be poured out upon the earth. And so that would be a, that would be a greater reason for this severity of this time frame. So Revelation 6, you see, it says, I, And I saw when the Lamb, and notice, who's the Lamb? That's the Lord. Okay, so this is not the Antichrist actually opening these seals. And when I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. Okay, well, what's in those seals? Well, verse 17, the last verse of the chapter, says it's, it's opening the wrath. It, it's these, these seals that are containing God's wrath. And then notice what it says in verse 17. For the great day of his wrath is come, and notice this, and who shall be able to stand? Man, it's going to be such a horrific time frame. And again, back to that 2 Thessalonians 2 thing, man, All it's somebody that we know because we believe the rapture is so close, I'm telling you, it's so close. Somebody that we know that we interact with today on a daily basis could be here and experience those things simply because they would not believe on the truth. And I would, and honestly, I would hate to think they didn't believe on the truth because I was, I was too fearful to even let them know what the truth was, and so it should, it should, it should convict us and call us to that. Okay, so it will. It, this this time of tribulation will be very severe, and then, and then uh, number four. And I, I'll be honest, I feel like this may be something uh, I probably should have given a little more time for. But this is probably, when I was laying this out last week with the teens, out of everything we've talked about so far, this is the thing that people talk about the, the least. And letter four, number four, that is the purpose of the marriage supper of the Lamb. The purpose of the marriage supper of the Lamb. So again, back to my imaginary timeline here. Okay, the very next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture. Boom, rapture happens, church is gone. During those seven years, the, the church will be experiencing the tribulation. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, that somebody's going to take that. and If we were a big church, somebody would take that and say we're heretical. Uh, the church is going to be experiencing the judgment seat of Christ. And then the, the world, everybody here on earth, will be experiencing the tribulation. During, okay, and then the second coming of Christ takes place. But right before the actual second coming, you have this deal. The Bible lays out in Revelation 19, which is why I told you to turn there which is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, you, and I'll be honest, when I was a kid, I would hear preachers talk about this, and we would lay out some things about it, and I always, they would always just talk about, like, everything that was said about the marriage supper of the Lamb, at least for me when I was a kid, was somebody, some preacher would say a food they liked, and they would say, man, I hope they have that at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then they never would talk about any, anything else about it, and I was like, what is, what is that? Like, you know, are we, just, are we just eating for the heck of it? Like, what does that mean? Uh, so, but there actually is a purpose to it, and it actually has something, it ha, it has, what we'll experience then has, uh, is greatly affected by what we do now, just like the judgment seat. So, number four, the purpose of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Look at Revelation 19. He says, Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, uh, his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Okay, and this, what, so what happens is we go through the judgment seat of Christ. And then we come to this time frame of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this proceeds right before the second coming. Okay. So you can, you don't, I don't have this on the screen, but I just read verses 7 through 9. But then if you actually look at verse 11 in Revelation 19, that's where it says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and his righteousness, uh, his righteousness doth judge and make war. And then uh, throughout that, that is where he is actually coming back, and we're following him, that whole deal, coming back here to the earth. And that's what sets up the millennium. Which, by the way, we've, as much as we talk about it, that is the whole theme of the Bible. So, like, another reason for people to say, you know, I don't know why you study that. It's kind of a waste of time. Well, it, it's actually the theme of the Bible. <laughs> like, it's two-thirds of the Bible is about that, uh, about that day. So, it's a big deal according to the Lord. So, uh, so what is the whole purpose of this marriage supper? Well, letter A, or well, let me say it like this. This is actually the consummation of our marriage to Jesus Christ. Okay, so... And when I say that, it's easy to think, well, I thought we we're already the bride of Christ. And we are. That's what the Bible says, according to Ephesians. We are his bride. But letter A, this is the way I would lay it out to you. We are currently espoused to Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11.2 says that. For I am, Paul says, I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. And this, is, so we're a spouse to him, and the, the consummation of that marriage is at that supper. Okay. Now notice, notice uh, back in Revelation nineteen, the verses I just re- uh, on your handout I just read to you. The reason this follows the judgment seat of Christ is because it says this in verse. Uh, let's see, verse verse seven. He says, "For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife hath made herself ready." So, so the, the purpose of the judgment seat is to boil out those impurities in somebody so that they are ready to have this consummation of marriage in our relationship with Jesus. That's the whole, that, that is what is happening. That is how his bride is making herself ready is through the judgment seat. Okay, Because again, uh, we may be those people or we may know people that are living fully surrendered to Christ and they may seem already ready well we obviously know people that are living contrary to that and they're not so we are a spouse to Jesus Christ okay look at Luke 127 this would be a good example of how the how the the word of God uses that okay this is this is Mary and Joseph and it says to a virgin a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph okay same word so what's happening here well Mary is already her and Joseph have they are going to get married okay but they're they haven't they haven't, made, they haven't made that final yet, okay? Well, how do we know that? Well, because it wouldn't have been a big deal that she was pregnant if they had, okay? Like, it, they wouldn't have been freaked out and worried that people were going to stone her uh, if they were already, uh, had already consummated that marriage. Okay, so it's the, same, it's the same word, literally used in 2 Corinthians 11 and Luke chapter 1. So we are currently a spouse to Jesus Christ. It's sort of like this. When we got saved... Uh, the Bible says that there, um, we would be adopted to the Lord Jesus Christ. But then you go over there to, to Romans chapter 8, and it talks about how that adoption is a futuristic thing. And what the adoption actually is, is when we get our glorified bodies. So, is there, okay, have I gotten my glorified body right now? No. No. But is there any threat of me not getting my glorified body? No, no, there's no threat of that. I'm going to get it. It is already set in stone, but it's a futuristic thing that has to be finalized. That, that's sort of how this is laid out with us being a spouse to Jesus Christ and the consummation of that happening at this, at this supper, if that makes sense to you. Okay, now letter B. Here's the, here's the application, okay? So I, why would we even go through this? Well, letter B, because our works now predict our garments then you know, what in the world am i talking about back to revelation 19 notice this he says in verse 8 and to her this bride was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the is the righteousness of the saints so it's not jesus god's imputed righteousness that he gave to us at the moment of salvation okay it is it is the righteousness the works the things that we have done after salvation so it's like this why is the judgment seat of christ uh, or why is it such a big deal that we we serve the lord fully with our life now well because the because it, it it makes a difference in how our judgment seat of christ experience will go okay why is the judgment seat of christ such a big deal like cuz once I'm done with it is aren't we all good and like well, I'm done like that's in my rearview mirror no 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 because the way the way I experience the judgment seat has uh merit in how this Marriage Supper of the Lamb will go for me as well. And then how I do at the Marriage Supper of the Lamb will have great merit in what I do during the millennium. You see, that that is the the big thing that people just don't realize in, in, in Western Christianity is they think, man, I got saved, everything is gonna be all hunky-dory, and yes, you will not go to hell, and yes, you will spend eternity with Jesus, but man, everything won't, everybody won't be equal just because everybody trusted Jesus Christ. What people do with their lives after salvation has so much weight for eternity in everything that comes, everything that is to come. So man, how somebody does at the judgment seat, it's going to reflect, and again, this is, this sounds weird, but I'm telling you this is what the Bible lays out. It's going to reflect the garments that that person wears as they come to this marriage supper. And just to give you some cross cross references to show you the, the, the negative side of that, notice this, Revelation 16, 15, which is not to the church, but it gives you a very similar thing. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments. Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And I don't I don't know if you were here back about two months ago, I preached in Revelation chapter three with the Church of Laodicea, which is the time frame we live. But notice what he what he calls the Church of Laodicea to. He says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind, and notice, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire. What is he talking about in verse 18? These are all things that have to do with investing your life in eternal things. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. And notice this. And white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. And notice. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. That's a futuristic thing. That the shame of someone's nakedness does not appear. And anoint thine eyes with salve that thou mayest see. So what are you saying, Dylan? And I'll be honest, I was laying this out to the teens, and you, Dean's here tonight, so he's already heard this. But, uh, you know, you have to be careful. <laughs> now I'm laying this out, but it's Bible, so I wanted to go through it with them. But I don't know any other way to say it than what the Bible says it, and that's that, man, there's, there's going to be some people, as weird as this sounds, I wouldn't say it if, if, I, if I made it up, but there's going to be people that come to this ceremony that had a bad experience at the judgment seat, and they, had, they were just saved, yet so as by fire. The only thing they're taking with them is themselves. And they show up, and you know what? They don't have garments. And you know what? I think that's why 1 John 2 talks about that person that is ashamed before him at his coming. And so, man, how does this all tie in? Well, it all ties back in to how am I investing my life now? Because you know what? The the unfortunate reality... the, the The fortunate reality is that the Lord gives us a free will. But I say it like this. The unfortunate reality is that the Lord gives us a free will. And sometimes my stinking free will and my decisions sometimes lead me, because of my stubborn flesh, leads me to want to invest my life for the things that are here and now and that are temporal and to make my life comfortable and to make my life easy on this side of eternity. But I'm telling you, man, according to all this stuff we're looking at, this is what it calls us to, is just like Paul, man, we got to see everything here and now as dung. we got to see it as, as useless and worth nothing and having no value so that one day, as we continue to invest our lives in eternal things, we'll be able to look back at the judgment seat. Again, not saying there won't be anything negative. I know there will be for me. But we'll be able to go through the judgment seat and receive reward. And then that reward leads us to a good experience at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then that is when we follow Jesus back on earth, which is what we're about to get to with the youth, which is the the second coming. And, man, that is where, according to 2 Timothy, if we suffer for him now, we will get to rule and reign with him then for a 1,000 years. And so you know what? I think about it like this. It's really simple math, but it's really a bad math equation. It's a bad bet. But people... Live it up for 70 or 80 years, however long they get on this side of eternity, 90 years. People live it up and, and, and give their life for temporal things for 90 years and enjoy it. I'm not saying it's not enjoyable. And they enjoy it. But they trade that in for a 1,000 years with the when Jesus Christ will be ruling and reigning, and they, they won't be ruling and reigning with him. Will they be with Jesus forever? Yes. They're not going to hell. Once you're saved, you're saved. But, again, what we do and the amount of glory we're able to bring him then will change and it's all reflecting upon our works now. And so this is what this stuff calls us to. So hope that makes sense to you. If I said anything crazy that you disagree with or whatever, uh, don't come tell me. No, I'm kidding. You can ask questions. That's cool. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you truly that, that you've revealed these things to us. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you have actually let us know. It's, it's an open book test. You have let us know what is to come so that we can prepare our lives now for that time. And so, God, I thank you for that. You would have been just just saving us and then letting us wonder and figure it out on our own, but you have preserved it in, in this book and told it to us so that, again, we can realign our scope. We can realign our focus. And when we get off course, we can put that thing back on course and get back focused on our relationship with you and eternal things. And so, God, I thank you for that truly. I thank you for giving a purpose to live, uh, which is eternal things. It is investing this book into the souls of men. I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the ones that came out tonight. God, I pray that if anything, these things would be an encouragement and a, and a further charge. Obviously, this is the Wednesday night crowd. This is the faithful, the faithful. So I mean nothing in, in uh, a negative thing, but just a, a call to to uh, motivation. So Lord, I pray that that would happen. I pray that you would uh, bring us back safely on Sunday and you continue to bless our church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. I